You're listening to The Community Pulse, a podcast about developer relations, community management, and all things tech advocacy. Let's see what our hosts are chatting about this episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our next episode of Community Pulse. Uh, I am your host, Mary Thingval. I am joined by my co-hosts, SJ Morris and Wesley Faulkner. We're super excited to be here today. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to have a developer relations professional as a super early employee at a company. And we're seeing this more and more as companies are starting to realize that developer relations is really a competitive advantage. And we've been noticing more and more job descriptions for dev advocates or DevRel professionals who are the first non-engineering hire at early stage startups. Uh, What we'll be talking about a little bit today is when you're an early hire working alongside the founder and a few engineers, what does your role look like? And how is it usually really different than when you join a company as employee number 30 or 120 or 1400? So we've got three guests here today, awesome guests joining us to help kind of flesh out this conversation a little bit. Uh, I will let them introduce themselves. Adrian, you wanna start us off? Sure, hello, I'm Adrian Howard. I'm the staff developer advocate at a small startup called Courier. uh, And you can find me most places on the internet at It's Adrian. Cool, Taylor, how about you introduce yourself next? Hi, I'm Taylor Barnett. I'm the senior community engineer at a company called Transposit. It's an operations platform. And you can find me on Twitter at Taylor underscore ATX. Awesome. And David, last but not least. I am David Simmons, and I am the head of uh, developer relations at a very small startup called QuestDB, where we do a time series database. And I can be found all over the internet at David GS IoT or just David GS. Awesome, thanks everybody. So kind of the first question is super broad, but we wanna just address what is your role look like? Is it uh, different than previous dev role roles at other companies, but also how is it um, broader perhaps? Or how did your, your kind of day-to-day tasks change more or differently than they do when you're working at a larger company? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, so one of the things that I feel is not only is it broader, but um, day-to-day is more unpredictable. Uh, you know, at a smaller company, things come up, uh, whether that be everything from, you know, community opportunities, uh, things that, you know, events that maybe you didn't know about the week before that have appeared and are now on your plate or, uh, and then not in a negative way, like you literally just didn't know and it is a great use of your time. Uh, You know, whether that be um, content that maybe because there's some kind of new release or new push that, you know, has come up faster than you thought it was going to be, you know, so you need to go write a blog post, um, you know, uh, just all sorts of things that you as a strategic person realize they have high value and you realize that is higher value than when you are working on at the moment and you can put that aside for, you know, a few days, you know, they just require that shift uh, sometimes. I I will also say that there's um, a lot of stuff that, in larger companies, uh, I sort of took for granted that, you know, a lot of the tooling, right, that 
I sort of took for granted as, oh, well, this just happens, right? Well, it turns out that before that just happened, somebody had to build all the infrastructure behind that being able to happen. And at a really small startup, especially for DevRel, it's, you know, a lot of this stuff has to just be built out. And so I, it's, at the same time that I'm doing the, the community building and the talking to developers, I'm having to also uh, think about and plan and build some of the infrastructure that can help me uh, support those users going forward and, and sort of planning for when, when DevRel gets bigger, right? So that the next DevRels that join the team have some of these tools that are just there and just work as, as opposed to having to come in and it's like, well, how do we do this? Well, we don't really do this. So they have to plan themselves. And that's been a huge change for this one for me. Yeah, I'll agree. Uh, a, a lot of things that I'm doing right now are building out the infrastructure uh, that will make me be successful as uh, as a dev advocate. So uh, whenever I started, we did not have a blog. And so we had to, to launch that. And in parts, I had to build uh, some of it uh, because it wasn't ready. Uh, and then also create the content, uh, manage the live stream. Uh, I'm working on the Node.js and the Python versions of our SDK, uh, and I'm getting ready to pick up Go, which is a language that I'm starting to learn. Uh, but then also I, I act as kind of like the first developer that our product touches. Uh, so it's up to me to build sample apps and different things around that and give direct feedback back to the engineers. Uh, normally I would be taking our product out to things like hackathons to get more uh, user feedback and bring that back. But it's just uh, with the climate that we're in right now, we're not doing that. Uh, and so I guess the the big thing is it's like I could probably tell you the, what I'm not doing uh, easier than than what it is that I am doing because I'm just doing whatever needs to be done. That's amazing. Uh, I, I noticed that Taylor, you mentioned that uh, you are continuously shifting priorities as you learn about new things or things enter your radar, uh, opportunities and uh, unexpected developments internally. How do you? keep track of the, their priorities in terms of what you should do? And when do you decide to hold steady about what is on the calendar? Yeah, so I'd first say that I never let too many of those things stack up. Uh, something from, from past experience I have gotten better at. So keeping, you know, that short list short uh, so that, you know, even though it sounds chaotic and problematic that you are shifting a lot, um, it, it doesn't get too out of hand. Uh, I mean, a lot of it, so for example, I, I sit on the marketing team, we're two people, it's the CMO and me, and the team is growing. So if anybody wants the marketing, technical marketing, you can check out our careers page. Um, but, you know, so much of it is, is there maybe a, a customer that is gonna have a new feature released to them? And, you know, being that first user, kind of like, uh, what Adrian talked about, like being that first user, testing it out, that's pretty high priority, especially if that customer is like a, a high priority beta customer for us. You know, so I want to make sure like the docs for that, so they have a good first experience with that new feature are there. That is higher priority than maybe a general piece of content that is great to, you know, be building out our catalog of content, um, but that's not as like time sensitive. Um, so that's an example of like trade off, like to a decision. Um, just other things like that. Um, yeah, so a lot of times 
dots are something that would get prioritized if they're going out to to a specific user. Um, I sometimes also like um, we're building out a sales team. Uh, it's nice that we now have a sales engineer that also can kind of contribute to some of that. So maybe it isn't Devrel always having to do that kind of work because that is something, you know, they're working really closely with a beta customer. Uh, so, you know, they can take some of that load off of the early, you know, solo Devrel person, um, but finding those kinds of trade-offs. Yeah, um, I think you all bring up really good points. One thing I kind of wanted to ask the group, um, I think depending on the company, you might get different perspectives. Some companies might think DevRel is a you know something to bring on later on um, as you you know once you've got your foundational plays in place. But it sounds to me like all of you are kind of working on building out some of those foundational things that will make you a successful DevRel team. So um, what was it about uh, I guess the respective places that you worked for that um, were able to or what were the sort of the factors that you feel like. Um, that company was aware that bringing you in at an early stage was going to be a net positive um, versus other companies that might not see the benefit of having a DevRel early on. So um, I'm a very early DevRel hire at the company I'm at. Um, like I'm employee number seven, right? There's three founders, there's three engineers, and there's me. So I'm very jealous of Taylor that has at least one other, like a marketing person and salespeople, because we have none of that. And one of the things that impressed me about when I was talking to them about, about this, uh, this position was how, how they understood that developers will drive adoption of the product right that they don't right now it's a hundred percent open source they've got nothing to sell they're not selling anything there's no sort of horizon for even having i mean there is but not immediate for being able to sell something right so they're very, they were very aware that developers were going to make or break this right getting uh the getting engineers and developers to start using this thing and integrated it into other products and running it in production was going to be what their was going to be their road to success not just success with um with the product but also success with uh funding rounds right that as they look for their next round of funding they need to be able to present to you know, the, the VCs, this is how many developers we have. This is how many people are in our community. This is how many people are active in our community and the kinds of things they're doing with our product. And that to me was, was one of the selling points that they, that they got what DevRel can do, right? It wasn't just, uh, you know, DevRel is a checkbox and we need one of those because everybody else has one. It was, this is going to drive everything from our product to our our future funding and so we need to get this right at the beginning and that was that was sort of one of those things that you know i i've interviewed a lot for devrel positions and not everybody gets it and not, and one of the questions i always asked was you know what are you hoping to get out of devrel and not everybody answers that question well. Sometimes it is just, well, we need DevRel, right? Because everybody has it. And that's not the right answer if you wanna go in to build a program, so. I will say, 
as an early hire, I would highly avoid any company who can't answer that question properly uh, because it's gonna be such an uphill battle that you will probably have regrets <laughs> unless you unless you see early signs that that they're you know that they can grow you know because people can grow i'm not saying they can't but it, it's just it's really hard early on to to convince them otherwise it's one thing if they don't fully understand all of the possibilities that devrel can help them with you know being that glue between all different teams that they're very early on building out um but it's a it's another thing if they they don't even see that part in my situation, I actually feel very fortunate because I was found uh, by my current company through uh, the Orbit guys and Mary. Um, so it was like this company was vetted for me. So you know, it was like, are you sure this is a small company? Uh, I, I would be number uh, employee number seven, small group of uh, engineers, and and they all assured me that yes, this was this was uh, good, and it really worked with uh, kind of the founders' idea around uh, self serve. Uh, so we are a SaaS product. You can go and you can sign up. You can use our free tier forever uh, and then, you know, convert over, hopefully. Uh, but he felt that uh, to make that successful, we really needed to engage with the uh, developers. Uh, so different than uh, a lot of the places that I've been at. I think one of the things you don't want to do is you don't want to go someplace where you have to, especially at a very early stage startup, you have to be constantly justifying your existence, right? Um, I, you know, I think as developer relations, we've all been in positions where, you know, it's where's the what's, you know, what's your value add? What's what's the ROI on you? And if you're employee number seven or fifteen or something, you you have enough other work to do without having to answer that question every day and prove that that's why you're there, right? Yeah, and that's a great, that's a great point. And I think it leads us nicely into one of our next questions, um, which is if you do find yourself in that position where the founder or senior management after you've been hired, you're realizing that they don't really understand developer relations, how do you actually push back a little bit against that kind of the ever-changing goals of the company while also trying to say like, no, 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 this is what's important. This is what I should be focused on when they might not understand that, that core purpose. So I will say that one of the ways that I have been um, sort of, and I learned this from you, Mary, um, I have learned so much from, from listening to and reading stuff that Mary has written and just talking to her as a friend that I, I, I do a lot of this stuff is I, I, have started to sort of write down all the things that I do, right? So that when I'm approached and said, hey, you need to focus on this, I then have a, and say, okay, well, here are the things I'm currently focused on that we've already talked about. And if, if we want to add something to the list, then this is something that's going to have to drop down further on the list. And where do these things go? And it also helps to be able to uh, to show that that value of here's what I do right here are all the things that I do and here are the impacts of those things right. Um, I, I've been playing around showing my friends this little chart of our of our github stars right um, that just sort of went in a in a straight up trajectory after I joined and I'm not saying it's because of me 
but I've done a lot to push that. And so being able to say, right, but see this, <laughs> that's it. That's, you know, I contribute, if I'm not responsible for it, I at least contributed to it. And, and having those things written down that I do on a daily basis to show how those things contribute helps a lot. I think that's a really interesting point. I would say as someone who's had experience in both, you know, being the first on engineering hire at a three person startup to where I am now at a, you know, I don't know what, 3000 person company, um, the same sort of practices can apply. I think that it's really important when you're starting a DevRel discipline at any company to be able to build that internal sort of advocacy as much as you're building the external advocacy program. So you have to kind of be mindful of that from the get-go. Um, and what's great is like literally part of your job is providing, you know, community or uh, developer feedback uh, from the community back into the company. And so that's a great way to be able to at least, uh, you know, share those great stories uh, if, 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 if not like get into those interesting fun metrics that we all like pick and choose from <laughs> to demonstrate our value. Well, and I learned these things actually in a talk that Mary and Rain did on, on transitioning, you know, to another team and handing your stuff off, right? Is here's all the stuff I do and holy crap, I didn't know I did all that, right? I'm doing all of that on a daily basis. That's nuts, right? So I can use it for, prioritizing stuff with my with the co-founders so that I can say here's all the stuff I do and I can't fit anything else in if you want to add that a drop I can also use it to justify an additional hire if I need to here's all the stuff I'm doing or if I need to transition to something else it's a way to hand that to somebody else and say here's all the stuff I do and now you get to do it right yeah that's a really good point and actually that's a nice segue into um, our next question, which is sort of around um, how building those relationships with the rest of the company and the community as you're, um, you know, setting the tone and building the, the the basics for your programs. Like, how have you all found navigating that? And do you have any interesting sort of anecdotes or stories to share? So I was going to uh, bring that up. Like one thing that I like to prevent is is that kind of you know uh, moment where that you have to. Uh, justify yourself by interacting with the rest of the people in the company. So I try really hard to uh, get in really good with the engineers, with the marketing teams, with anybody on there. I try to bring engineers onto live streams, try to get them speaking, uh, try, uh, try to help them out as much as I can, lifting them up uh, because that what I find is they are doing the justification for me. So if they're talking about, oh, Adrian helped me get uh, get, get into this conference speaking, or I had a really great time being on this live stream. I got to show this. It makes, it makes the, the engineers happier. It makes the other people you work with happier. And that, that shows, and that's, that reflects, uh, great on the program and what you're doing. One of the things, so in my last role, I was employee number nine. Uh, and then what early on, maybe like first few weeks, I asked for a list of our most active users. And I just started cold emailing them, asking them if I could have a 30 minute conversation about, you know, I, I was building out a community and, you know, I just wanted to hear about their experience with the product and just other community related things. Um, and what I was really wanting to get out of it was what kind of content we needed because we had almost no content. 
um, and we really needed to start writing some and just learn about like where they were, you know, looking for different types of content. Um, were there blogs that they really liked that we could, you know, kind of see why maybe they liked them, things like that. But through that, I got product feedback. I got just general feelings. Uh, you know, my favorite was, you know, they were happy that we were reaching out because they actually wanted to talk to us more, uh, you know, that they wish they heard more from us because um, they were pretty happy with the product and they just wanted to chat, I guess. Um, and some of those relationships that I built from those early conversations, especially when some people were like, oh, I'd really like to know best practices, how to use this thing. Um, and then I could go email it to them, you know, even if it was two months later, and they were so happy that we wrote about it. Um, and so they really started building out some relationships with early community members for a community that did not exist um, and helped product sale. It helped every team. Um, so that was pretty great. I, I have a question about the, the empathy of the developers, the customer, and when they use your products. And many of you mentioned that you, the first developer is you uh, for your company. Uh, when do you know, or when do you feel, or what kind of process do you have to determine that, okay, it's ready for the public to consume it, it's ready for me to get feedback, and when you do hear that feedback, how do you organize that, because you are now the, the very end of that funnel getting all of this information, so it's a, it's a big question, so choose what part you want to jump in. Yeah, I'd say whenever we get to the point uh, where I can I can use it without having to bother any of my engineers, uh, and then because we're so early, um, you know, as as a company, a lot of our customers have shared Slack channels. Uh, so whenever we're ready to roll it out, it's not like we're doing a, a big um, product announcement. We're going into these channels and saying, "Hey, you you talked about wanting topics. We just rolled that out. If you want to take a look, and then we can actually have real conversations about how they're using it." Uh, we had one company just try us out during uh, an internal hackathon, and we got the best feedback. It really brought me back to like being able to go to hackathons and, and work directly with people and, and get the feedback. But I think once we pass kind of that little test of from that like little group of people, then it's it's definitely ready. Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, when you're so early on, you know, maybe eventually you get to the point where you have big launches, but you know exactly the people that it's going to. And so it, it isn't as, as uh, momentous and like feeling like, oh no, could we screw this up? It's a lot like lower key because you've sometimes selected those beta users. And so it's a, it's a lot different of a relationship of handing it off. Of course, you don't want them to struggle and you want them to have a good experience. You don't want them to hit any bugs or anything but it's different than if it was released to a hundred people, um, even, you know, potentially, cause you're that, it's that early on. See, we did something completely insane um, that, that, I mean, it's just can't be described as anything but completely insane. We took our database and we put it out live on the open internet and asked Hacker News to come try it, run any queries you want. And it's a bold which, move, which is nuts, right? Um, 
we had something like 17,000 people come and run queries against this database live just from the internet. You could go to this browser address and type in a SQL query and see what happens. Um, and that was, you know, that was both a, a, a see what we can do. And also for us, it was, uh, you know, let's, you know, let's see what happens. Is it, is it ready to do this? Is it going to crash? Are we going to have problems? And we learned a lot from that. We learned a lot from the feedback from that. I don't, you know, I, I wrote a, a blog post about it, about doing it afterwards because it, you know, putting a SQL database live on the open internet and inviting everybody to just come in and whack at it is, that's insanity. Um, but, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know that that, you know, that that was a, okay, we're ready for customers or not, but it was a great learning experience for us in how to deploy this thing and how to, uh, um, how to handle the kind of volume, that kind of volume, right? Because it wasn't a small deployment either. It was 1.6 billion rows of data and we had 15 to 20,000 people all banging at it at once. I think what I'm hearing from a lot of you is that there's a lot of bonuses that come from being involved that early on, right? You're able to kind of set the direction of the developer relations function at your company. You're also able to get that really early feedback and know that the product that you're producing is what your customers actually want. Um, are there any like major negatives of being involved that early and, and kind of having to endure some of that early feedback perhaps, or um, I mean, we've already touched on the like ever-changing goals side, but things that, you know, maybe weren't expected or lessons that you've learned as a result of being that early of an employee or rather launching, launching the uh, product to that early of a community. Well, so I was the, the, first and only DevRel at the last two companies I've been at, um, include and not including this one. And, you know, it, it, I think it depends a lot on, um, on how much autonomy you're given and what their expectations are. Right. Um, and, and I think it's, so at a, you know, at this point right now, I'm given a whole lot of autonomy to just build up this program and do what needs to be done. And there's just so much to do that just do everything right. Um, uh, another company that I was at previously has basically done away with all of their DevRels at this point, right? Um, which is, you know, for an open source project is kind of, you know, bordering on suicidal, but it, you know, it just being able to it, it depends on whether or not you're given the autonomy to actually set the tone for it, right? And set what's what's expected and what's going to be done versus we have an idea of what DevRel is and you're supposed to come in and do that and 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 meet those targets and that's it. Yeah, I, I would I would say uh, one of the negative things is that often you're like you think of all the things you could be doing and you kind of have FOMO of of the things that you aren't doing um and you know i've gotten better at you know being able to compartmentalize that and like put that aside and recognize you know you can't do it all and that just is gonna have to sit there and you imagine what you could do with a larger team eventually and so you kind of like 
you sometimes don't want to spend too long dreaming about it, but you still do it sometimes because you're thinking strategically of, of, you know, longer term sometimes. And it's just, that's like the negative. The negative is like, dang, if I, if there were three of me even, you know, what could we accomplish? Um, you know, and, and often you're going to have to sit with that for a little while. I mean, that's just part of growing a company. Um, not all of them grow super fast. And sometimes that's even not a good thing if they do. Um, so you, you have to accept that. Uh, I think sometimes people join a startup and think, you know, this is just going to take off. Um, and there's like a natural healthy rhythm to how it should be taking off. Um, and then the, the other thing is, it's just around, uh, you know, right now I'm heavily focused on content. That is something I, I strategically just where I need to be focused. But I know I have the trust and we've already had conversations about as we add people to the marketing team, when I do work a little bit less on content, um, you know, what do I work on next? And um, I guess that's not really a negative, but I think it's just really, it's, it's nice to know that like being somewhere where you have that trust when you don't have that trust, I guess this goes off of what David was talking about, got me thinking about it. It's just like having that trust to, to be trusted to go in the next direction or work on that next strategic thing um, that isn't just only what the, you know, maybe leadership thinks is as DevRel, um, but what you think is the next, you know, right, right direction for the DevRel practice at the company. Yeah, and with all those things, like there, there are things that, that have to get done. Like I've, I've been in the situation before where we didn't have a real marketing department. We didn't have this, we didn't have that. And uh, based on my experience, I was able to do all those things, but I found myself drifting away from actual doing DevRel. Um, you know, I, I had to manage everybody else's blog posts, not write them myself. And then I got to the point where I didn't have time to like code. Uh, and as a developer advocate, I feel like I should code. I should still be a software engineer, which is what I was trained to be. Well, and you know, that brings up the, you know, to me, they're at a small startup when you're just starting out, you got to do stuff that you don't really want. You know, I, one of the things that I get to do is send out swag. So every now and then I just have to take a half day and address envelopes and lick envelopes and, and print stamps and, and go to the mailbox, you know, and send out stickers and pins and t-shirts and stuff. And, you know, at, at a larger startup, I would, you know, there would probably be a marketing person who would do that, right? Oh yeah, but I have to order the swag first, right? And and now I have an office full of swag that I have to manage, you know. So it's not all glamorous DevRel, right? Sometimes we gotta do what we gotta do. As you're both mentioned that you're part of very small companies, and so you hopefully it'll be very big companies. Just out of curiosity, if you had to. Um, the next hire in this same space for your company, would you want to be that person's supervisor, peer, or do you want someone else to do more of the strategic stuff and you would like to actually uh, keep doing what you're doing? That's a good question. I say peer. I mean, yeah, I, I would like to do slightly more strategic stuff, but still it would be a, a peer relationship. I, I think anybody is going to be going to seem like a peer relationship to me, but uh, I, 
I think we're definitely looking for somebody who would be a little bit less junior and the strategic part of that would be location. So I'm out in New York City, everybody else is in uh, SF. Whenever uh, we get back to whatever the new normal is, uh, we have a great office for doing meetups and things like that. And, and we really need somebody out there to handle that. So I really see myself as continuing on with like the, the overall strategy and, and kind of leading the direction, but we need people on the ground, uh, like in the home office. And, you know, I would say that it would, you know, I would prefer a, a peer. I'm happy to have somebody a little more junior that, that I, I can mentor along in some of this stuff. Um, but uh, in a company this small, it's really hard to really have a, a reporting hierarchy, right? Um, it, that, that just feel, that just doesn't feel right in some ways, right? Um, because everybody's kind of doing everything. Um, but, and, and I'm not even sure that the next hire would necessarily be DevRel as opposed to somebody, you know, as Taylor is focused on content right now, you know, bringing somebody in that could focus on content and not doing so much of the reaching out to developers and doing sample applications and all of that, but somebody to actually build content might be the next strategic hire. It really is at a small company, it needs to be, you need to look to sort of broaden things as much as possible rather than let's just bring on another DevRel. One thing I'd add, that is somewhat dangerous and we, all of us answering peer actually like accentuate, like makes this even more apparent is often the devil person's um, reporting hierarchy isn't always clear, um, especially in an early stage company who is already flat, but often um, they need someone in leadership being their their manager at least or something like that because otherwise they kind of just get left out in the ether and not only does that potentially hurt their future growth but it hurts their team's future growth of actually building out a devrel team because it's like oh that's just our devrel person um, versus someone who is a you know a team under a manager um, who's responsible well, i have stories about that that i will choose not to share <laughs> Well, now that you've all sort of done a really good job of planning your next hires and you're ready to talk to your uh, founders or co-founders or whatever it may be, I think this is probably a reasonable place for us to, to, to wrap up. Um, and what we're going to do now is move into um, not necessarily my favorite part of the show, but a very enjoyable part of the program called The Checkouts, where we just talk about random things that have been interesting to us in the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to kick off by sharing um, a couple of things that have been uh, capturing my attention lately. One being, um, for those who don't know, this is spelled S-C-H-I-T-T, -T, but this is Schitt's Creek, um, a show that I actually have known about it for a very long time because I'm Canadian and it's a Canadian show. Um, and I have avoided it because um, growing up, Canadian comedy just did not, this sounds, this sounds very counterintuitive now that I say this out loud and know that most of my favorite comedians are Canadian, um, but com Canadian TV programming um, in the 90s did not have high budget and we just didn't have high quality shows, except for like Kids in the Hall. But now, um, 
Schitt's Creek is out. It's been out for a while now. I've noticed that it's been getting a ton more awareness. And I finally gave in and started watching it in the last couple of weeks. And I haven't stopped. Like every night I watch like four or five episodes. It is such an incredible show. There's, it's just ridiculous. It's funny. It's heartwarming. It's sweet. I don't know. I just highly recommend it, especially in, in these sort of interesting trying times that we're going through. Um, and then the other shout out I want to give is to... Um, a new community that's that's popped up that I've uh, been checking out. It's called the flylist.dev uh, community. Um, it was founded by James Governor, who is the founder at Redmog, uh, a developer analyst firm. And basically uh, it was built off a talk that he did at DevRelCon in 2018, all about um, how developer relations does not necessarily need to be based on traveling and doing talks all over the place and sort of, well, you know, racking up those, that carbon, that carbon footprint. And it's apparently this happened before the pandemic, perhaps uh, I'm a little suspicious of James and the, the pandemic, the correlation there, but um, just kidding. Um, but basically it's just an incredible community where folks are talking about strategies to uh, build developer advocacy without a lot of travel, of course, extremely relevant now. Um, I've attended a couple of their sessions and um, been checking out their community. It's a, 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 a lot of smart people. So check it out. Mary, do you wanna share yours? Sure, so I've got one today. Um, there is a YouTube series that I was turned on to not too long ago um, called Hot Ones. Uh, it's by a, a YouTube personality named Sean Evans. And basically what it is, is he sits down celebrities with a series of hot sauces from like, you know, your normal lightweight salsa, all the way up to like the ghost pepper-esque salsas. Um, and they do them on, not salsas, but hot sauces, um, but they do them on hot wings. Um, and so as they're going from the like not spicy to the spiciest, he's then asking them questions about their career and their hobbies and their interests. And it's this fascinating interview style because they're so, they're often so caught off guard by what they're tasting that they're not quite as reserved with what they're talking about. And so you get more personality from the celebrities. You get uh, to know them, I think on a little more personal level um, and a little more, um, raw or, or genuine level because they're not able to hold that facade as they're tasting these spicier and spicier things. Um, so we'll put the link in the show notes, but it's just, it's a fascinating um, series. I personally love the one with the actress that plays Captain Marvel. Um, and if you know me personally, you know that I refer to her that way because I am terrible at remembering people's actual names in real life. And I just know the characters that they play on shows. So go look that one up, start there. And then there's a, a great playlist on YouTube to kind of work your way through. Um, Taylor, how about you go next? Yeah, so I just finished this book a couple of weeks ago. It's called Why Fish Don't Exist. Um, it's described as part biography, part memoir, part scientific adventure, and I would even say part like murder mystery too, uh, which, which is like kind of makes it go off in another direction for a little bit, but it's from Lulu Miller. She used to host Invisibilia, it's a NPR podcast. And the book is about David Starr Jordan, who is like a famous taxonomist. And he was also the first president of Stanford University. And it's it's really about like trying to make 
order and in our world of chaos because that's what taxonomists are trying to do and um and also a little bit of u.s history it's all over the place it was great um and definitely not what i expected when i first started reading it um and you finally at the end learn why fish don't exist so you have to go read it to find out I do. Uh, so for so I'm new to to Discord. That seems to be what all the cool kids are using these days. Um, and one of the kind of Discord communities that I found is the Corgi Party Network, and it's an inclusive community of content creators. There's live streamers. There's bloggers. There's um, just people who uh, there's like a food uh, channel. Like you get to see what all these people are making. Uh, and they do a lot of tooling, a lot of uh, serverless. And I kind of found it through, I think, egghead.io. Uh, one of the instructors actually created this. And uh, it was, it's a great way, like, I'm, like I said, I'm picking up uh, Go. And so there's people in there that can help me out with that. Uh, there's lots of like automation things that could like make my job easier. Um, but then there's people playing like D and D uh, in there as well, so it's a it's a great community. Everybody in there uh, is wonderful, and every time one of the speakers or one of the people goes out and speaks somewhere, you just see an influx of people coming into the Discord, and everybody's like, "Hello, hello, welcome, welcome, welcome," and it's 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 nice. It's refreshing. That's awesome, uh, David. How about you round out our guest checkouts? After those two checkouts, I feel like are three. I feel like I don't really do anything, you know, um, but. Um, so uh, first of all, um, SJ, congrats on starting Shit's Creek, um, and everybody can stop sending me "ooh, David" memes. You know, I've seen them all. Um, I get them all the time. Jeremy still sends them to me, and I still okay. Um, uh, so you know, part of the problem of having a similar name, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, but so um, two things that that. First of all, they're Amazon related, and I apologize for that. Um, but you know, the there's the advice that you never go read the comment section, you know, on the internet, and which is good advice um, because the comments are usually garbage and they, you know, it, it deteriorates rather quickly. Um, there is an exception to that rule, and that is to go and read the product reviews on Amazon. And if you haven't yet. I have two great suggestions for product reviews to go read. The first is the Haribo uh, sugar-free gummy bears. Um, do not be drinking liquids while you're reading the reviews. <laughs> uh, and the other uh, review that is one of the classics is the banana slicer. So if you just go and, and search on Amazon for banana slicer and read the, the reviews on that, um, it's hours and hours and hours and hours of fun. Um, and the, the last thing is um, you probably won't stumble across it on Amazon, but it is one of my favorite books. And I, I have sent it to so many people that it's sort of a, a like it always shows up in my Amazon all the time. It's like, do you need to buy another one? Um, and it's a book called Dr. Tatiana's Sex Advice to All Creation. Um, and if you've never read it, it is... Um, it's like if every animal in the world were writing into Dear Abby asking for sex advice or Dr. Ruth. 
So it is it is laugh out loud funny and also quite informative because she the author is a uh, is a, um, a an evolutionary biologist. So there's all the information in there about you know why the why animals do it the way they do it. Um, so lots of fun. So there's your uh, there's your three things to go and and waste time on Amazon with for me. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Uh, to finish us off, Wesley, what have you got for us today? I came across this article. I saw it on Twitter. Um, it's called Insulting Your Employees is Costing You Money. So unfortunately, we're at a place where you can't just say, don't treat your people poorly, but there's actually a cost analysis as to the negative uh, consequences financially to a company for every time you do treat someone really badly because uh, that part of the brain that gets engaged when receiving negative uh, feedback also shuts down the part of the brain that where good ideas come from. And so if during a meeting, when you insult someone, they can't really fully participate. So the price is the cost of how much you're paying them to be in that meeting. And not only does it happen then, but it spills over maybe an hour or so after that encounter. So like that's at least two hours. And if it happens every day on the Monday meeting, then that is times how many times, how many weeks in a year, how much you're paying that employee for that hour is how much you're losing. Um, and that is just the, the monetary cost. And when you add that to the, um, the attrition rate um, to, in terms of like, and then having to hire a new employee and the morale, um, it, it's, it's a really great article and it breaks everything down. And, and for making the case of why to treat people well, uh, this is like a monetary aspect of that, except for um, it's for the people who really need to hear and understand why that's so, so important. Thank you so much, Wesley. I think that um, we could all use a reminder to um, remember the reasons to be nice to each other, especially now. Um, so um, to honor the um, the reg more regular host, PJ, who usually um, wraps up our show with a prolific quote, usually of the hip hop nature, I am going to take this opportunity to, um, to wrap this up. Before I do that, I would like to thank our guests so, so much for, for this great conversation. Um, it was awesome having all of you on and we really appreciate it and thank you for your time. And without further ado, I will share my quote. And this quote comes from, actually I'll do it the, the, the PJ way, I'll read the quote first. So it's keep your head up high, don't you know that you are the super fly and that ain't no lie. And that is from the incredible Spice Girls from the Spice World movie uh, released in 1997. So I hope I did uh, PJ justice. I hope he's proud of me. Um, and with that, we thank you all once again for joining us and we will see you on the next Community Pulse. This has been Community Pulse. Learn more at communitypulse.io and on Twitter at community underscore pulse. Your hosts are Mary Thangball, Mary underscore Grace on Twitter, Jason Hand, Jason Hand on Twitter, PJ Haggerty, Asplenic on Twitter, SJ Morris, Sarah Jane Morris on Twitter, and Wesley Faulkner, Wesley83 on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.